0: Ugh! I'm so sick of having religion forced onto me! What? That's horrible. Who is forcing their religion onto you? Christians! Ugh! Oh, wow. So they're making you go to church on Sunday? Well, no. You have to get baptized? Not exactly. They're making you read the Bible? Well, okay, they're not doing that. You have to follow the Ten Commandments? No. You have to pray a rosary? No. What's that? They're making you go to confession? No. You have to submit to Rome? Nope. So they're forcing you to be Orthodox? Protestant? Evangelical? Well. Armenian? Calvinist? Five-pointer? Four-pointer? Three-pointer? I don't know what those mean. Oh, so they're just like... Forcing you to tithe? No! They're not making me do any of that! How exactly are they forcing their beliefs onto you? My girlfriend's pregnant, and in my state, we can't kill it! That's a horrible thing to say about your girlfriend. No, the baby! Bro, maybe you need some religion. Thank you so much for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, comment below. And if you want to help us make more, donate at patreon.com slash freedomtunes. Thank you so much.
1: Quietly but quickly, the much-anticipated trial for Kyle Rittenhouse approaches on November 1st. It's expected to last two weeks, and it'll be an important one to watch, not just for its political significance, but for what it represents for your rights. This of course is a murder trial, among other charges, but it's a murder trial in which who killed whom isn't actually in dispute. This is purely a self-defense case. Rittenhouse's lawyers admit that Kyle pulled the trigger. And the prosecuting attorney says this isn't a whodunit. The issue is not whether Kyle killed someone. It's just a test of what circumstances justify that. It'll be a national evaluation of whether self-defense as a concept holds any cultural or legal legitimacy anymore. And sure, that evaluation will be handled according to specific Wisconsin law by a specific Wisconsin jury, But the politics will be evaluated nationally, and many of the legal standards in play apply in many or most states. Do you have a right to use lethal force when threats are made and enacted against you, especially when cornered, especially after fleeing, especially when used with precision only against those making the threat against you, or not? The Rittenhouse case is not some difficult, complex test of where exactly those lines are drawn, it's a case of near purity to test whether any lines even exist at all. Because Kyle didn't just reasonably believe there to be unlawful interference with his person, as Wisconsin self-defense law prescribes, he was actively interfered with when Joseph Rosenbaum tried to grab his rifle, when Anthony Huber hit him with a skateboard, and when Gage Grosskrutz Pulled a handgun on him and remember kyle shot each of these men only after they actively physically attacked him after kyle had fled their aggression and been cornered and kyle shot them and only them no bystanders no uninvolved innocents the shots were restrained and precise. If you can't defend yourself in a situation where people are chasing and physically attacking you, and you try to leave but they keep chasing and physically attacking you, then you can't defend yourself ever. If the mob wills it, then your face must become one with the asphalt. That will be the new legal standard. So what's on trial in the Rittenhouse case isn't just whether Kyle defended himself, it's whether any of us can defend ourselves. Because if Kyle didn't, then we can't. People aren't watching just for Kyle. They're watching for themselves and for their family. When last we left the Kyle Rittenhouse story, the prosecution had taken a series of losses at a pretrial evidentiary hearing. They wanted to include evidence that Kyle was involved in a June 2020 fight between his sister and another woman, They wanted to include evidence that Kyle is a Proud Boy and made Proud Boy hand gestures, but both pieces of evidence were tossed and will not be considered at trial. The prosecution also wants to include evidence of Kyle saying he wished he had his rifle to deal with other looters on a different day prior. That video remains a possibility for inclusion at trial, though the judge says he leans against it. It's a possible indicator that the prosecution is really grasping at straws to build their case. Now sure, You'll take everything you can strategically to win, but if these are just weak pieces of side support that may be beneficial to the state if they can get them, then why were the prosecutors visibly frustrated as though they were losing key evidence? It's not that big of a deal if the jury won't hear your 10th strongest argument, but it is a big deal if the jury won't hear your first, second, or third strongest arguments. And if Kyle throwing up the okay hand sign months after the incident is among your strongest arguments, Your argument isn't strong. But of course, we don't know. One bad pretrial hearing for the prosecution doesn't mean that the trial overall will be bad for the prosecution. But how about two? Because there was another pretrial hearing on Tuesday, and it was another day that did not fare well for prosecutors, not just because of testimony that built a solid case for the defense, but because the prosecutors didn't have solid arguments against it, either on the substance of the testimony itself or whether that testimony should be included at trial this is the testimony and analysis of john black a use of force expert with a doctorate in cognitive science 23 years police training experience 30 years special forces experience certification in firearms instruction and a man who has consulted in use of force legal cases 60 plus times he's written opinions in 32 of those cases and he's testified in 20. and he's prepared a report on his analysis of the rittenhouse case for the defense That report concludes that Kyle Rittenhouse acted reasonably and in compliance with Wisconsin self-defense laws throughout that night. And the defense team is now making the case to the judge to allow Black to testify before the jury at trial. And while Black's testimony isn't necessarily anything new for people who have followed this case closely and evaluated the video evidence, It is confirmation of two things. Number one, that a man with decades of professional experience investigating and analyzing evidence in events like this one sees this case in much the same way that many of the internet hobby analysts do. So there's substantiation and support for a lot of the analysis already done. And number two, that this professional investigation and analysis doesn't appear to have uncovered any major new information or evidence that the internet analysts hadn't already found. That means it is less likely that the prosecutors have any major surprises up their sleeves. Black's analysis breaks the incident down into two parts. The first part at the gas station, in which Joseph Rosenbaum chased and cornered Kyle throwing objects at him. In that situation, Black says that Kyle is clearly retreating, and Rosenbaum is clearly the aggressor. He is
2: moving away from somebody to be pursued. There's an object being thrown at him, which means he is the defender or he is in a reactionary mode.
3: The acting force in event number one, would that be Mr. Rosenbaum?
2: I would think it would be absolutely expected or reasonable that that would be the the causal action, because up until that point, he was not moving
1: in that area. And because Rosenbaum reached for Kyle's gun... It was a reasonable belief for Kyle that Rosenbaum was attempting to inflict serious bodily injury.
3: Would it be reasonable for a person to want to retain their firearm from another person who has threatened to kill them in the past? Yes. Why?
2: Because if their firearm is taken away from them, and if they believe that person to be willing to do them serious bodily harm or anything else, a reasonable perception would be once they take that firearm, they're gonna potentially use it against me.
1: In the second part of the incident, Kyle's further retreat and the subsequent attacks in the street, Black concludes the same, that acts of serious bodily injury were repeatedly inflicted aggressively toward Kyle. Starting with jump kicker guy.
2: Being kicked to the head can cause severe damage serious physical injury and is a potential to cause death, yes.
1: And then Skateboard Guy, who not only hit Kyle with a weapon, but also attempted to take his rifle.
2: If that hand is down there, that hand is potentially going for the weapon. If Kyle Rittenhouse had perceived that, would I say that that's a reasonable perception?
1: Yes. And then you have the comrade with the missing biceps, who, of course, Bluff surrendered and then pointed a gun at Kyle.
3: As he gets shot, from the first position with his hands up to when he's shot in the arm. Is he moving away from Kyle Rittenhouse or moving towards Kyle Rittenhouse?
2: I would argue that the evidence shows that he is
1: moving towards. It's Black's opinion that Kyle's actions weren't just in compliance with use of force norms in his professional expertise, but specifically in compliance with Wisconsin laws on defensive use of force, which allow it when the actor, Kyle in this case, reasonably believes that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm.
3: You've reviewed this for whether or not Kyle's actions were reasonable under the self-defense law of Wisconsin?
2: Uh, That's correct, under the Wisconsin statute.
3: And do you have an opinion as to that to a reasonable degree of scientific certainty?
1: I believe the actions comport with it. And the prosecution's response to the defense's effort to get Black to testify at trial was a total mess of inconsistency. First, they said that no expert testimony is necessary or even valuable because only the jury will judge reasonableness and all of the jurors will be perfectly reasonable themselves. The
4: state's position is that the jury does not need to hear from an expert to make a decision on the issue of self-defense here. The jury instructions are quite clear that it's what a reasonable person, Uh, would uh, feel is appropriate. And I think we'll have a jury of reasonable people.
1: Unless, of course, the jury hears from the wrong expert, in which case the jury suddenly becomes unreasonable and the experts become useful, and the jury needs to hear from our expert now.
4: We also uh, retain our own expert, uh, Bob Willis, as in the process of preparing his report. As I indicated to the court yesterday in my email, he should have it uh, by October 18th.
1: The prosecution initially attacked John Black's personal qualifications rather than the substance of his analysis, implying that Black only has expertise on police use of force, Not civilian.
4: Is it fair to say then that the times that you have been qualified as an expert witness relate to uh, police use of force as opposed to civilian use of force?
2: I'd say the majority would be related to police use of force. That's correct.
1: As though the same fact patterns, principles and general legal constraints don't apply to both. It's like arguing you have no relevant knowledge as a mechanic because you've only worked on Ford but not Chevy. Plus, it's not even accurate. John Black has done plenty of work on civilian cases.
4: Is it correct to say that in every single one of those cases, one of the parties is a law enforcement agency?
1: Um,
2: no. The short answer to your question, sir, is is no. I'd have to go through them, but I have advised on self-defense cases
1: before. But that's not even close to the worst of it. The prosecution preposterously implied that the skateboard attack wasn't an attack because of the way the guy was holding it.
4: Would you agree with me that if indeed someone like Mr. Huber, hypothetically, had a skateboard and intended to use it to cause harm, they would hold it differently than what we see Mr. Huber holding it in this video, correct?
2: No, I would disagree with that. I haven't been trained in understanding how to use skateboards as a weapon, so I don't have a reference point. I can tell you how to use bats and other things as a weapon.
1: Now that's an argument I really hope makes it to trial. It's only assault Depending on the grip of the weapon, if you hold a baseball bat upside down, you can take free shots at someone's face because that's not the best way to do damage. The prosecution heavily focused on Kyle's possession of the gun, since Black had said that repeated attempts at grabbing Kyle's gun were part of his conclusion that Kyle had acted reasonably in defending himself from that aggression. And so the prosecution asked in the case of each shoot if Kyle would have been justified in using deadly force if he was not carrying that gun. And Black said he may not have been in certain situations.
4: If everything else in the situation was the same, except Mr. Rittenhouse did not have that gun, is it your opinion that Mr. Rittenhouse would have been reasonable and justified to use deadly force against Joseph Rosenbaum?
2: Given all the other facts as seen, there wasn't any other big fighting or kick to the head. I would argue, no, it wouldn't wouldn't be a reasonable response.
4: If all of those circumstances regarding Anthony Huber and Mr. Rittenhouse are exactly the same, but Mr. Rittenhouse does not have a gun, would you agree with me that it would not have been reasonable for Mr. Rittenhouse to use deadly force?
2: It's a hard hypothetical for me to fathom.
1: Number one, you'll notice the prosecution doesn't apply this hypothetical to missing biceps man. Why? Because that guy pointed a gun of his own at Kyle. Number two, counterfactuals are not what we're judging. We are judging what actually happened. Hey, if skateboard man had just skated by and minded his own business instead, but Kyle still shot him, would that have been justified? No, it wouldn't have been. Also, that's not what happened, so it's not really relevant, is it? But number three, It's just a bad argument, legal or layman. I get the angle the prosecutors are trying to take. They're trying to say that it was Kyle who created the danger himself with his illegitimate possession and carrying of the rifle. That's why the first part of this hearing was dedicated to the interpretation of Wisconsin's hunting statutes. The defense believes those laws allow Kyle to possess and carry a firearm, an argument they made trying to get Kyle's weapons charge dropped. The judge denied that motion for now, but he does say the statutes are unclear and he needs further time to review them. That was also the basis for blue check tweeters who spent under five minutes looking at the story to claim that this legal unclarity was actually the substance of the hearing. Kyle Rittenhouse says he was just hunting? Oh my God, what a stupid defense. What was he hunting? Black people? Ha, got him. No, as demonstrated by the fact that no black people were shot or died, And the fact that Kyle was just hunting is neither the defense offered nor the substance of the hearing. That is a misunderstanding of a secondary point to a secondary argument that the prosecution is trying to emphasize. The actual strategy for the defense being if they can eliminate that gun charge, the crux of the prosecution's case falls apart. The prosecution is saying that because Kyle's gun possession is illegitimate, His claim to self-defense is illegitimate, so if the defense team can eliminate that claim for the prosecution, the prosecution's case is dead. And even beyond the legal technicalities, it's an argument that should lose, regardless of if the defense team's strategy succeeds. Because whether you legally possess property or not, does not and should not dictate your right to defend yourself or not. Consider a hypothetical that actually aligns with the facts here. Let's take the gun emotion out of it. Let's say, instead of a gun, Kyle had a car that night. And let's say that this car isn't street legal, or Kyle's not licensed to drive, or there's some other legal reason why he's not supposed to be in possession of or operating this car, just like the gun. And let's say Kyle is watching that same riot in Kenosha that same night from inside of his car instead, and that same mob learns that Kyle's car is illegal. And they start beating on his car and they start beating on him personally and so in order to protect himself kyle has to drive away and in the process of doing that he hits and kills someone who had been attacking him is the argument in that case still well kyle shouldn't have had that car it wasn't street legal and he wasn't licensed to drive it therefore he forfeits his right to defend himself and now he's a murderer even though he's the one who was attacked? Or is the proper conclusion that the people who attacked Kyle are not justified in their aggression No matter what property he has in his possession consider it another way it is a violation in many cities to skateboard on the sidewalk that does not mean i get to approach a skateboarder and take his skateboard and beat his face in with it and if i did it wouldn't be a good argument to say yeah well that's what he gets for skateboarding around here if he wouldn't have brought that prohibited skateboard here in the first place none of this would have happened i'm still the aggressor in that situation i have still committed assault and battery. The last piece of bad news for the prosecution is it sounds like the judge is inclined to include John Black's testimony at trial.
4: On the subject of expert witness, I'm gonna use Dr. Black's report is an example because it's the only one I have. There are many points in there that I think are suitable for expert witness testimony. So I I definitely think there's much of value in terms of that could be useful to the
1: jury in reaching their verdict in the case. And the judge also called out the prosecution for using their own use of force experts all the time, yet suddenly deciding now that they're useless.
4: Your office has been using use of force experts. You used it in the Jacob Blake Shesky shooting. You used it in the shootings. uh, There there was an officer involved in a couple of shootings and, and you used a use of force expert in that. Why would it be inappropriate? for this kind of evidence to be utilized by the jury.
1: And even if John Black does testify at trial, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a slam dunk for Rittenhouse's defense. We'll have to wait and see what the prosecution's self-described useless expert brings himself. And don't forget that the prosecution still claims to have FBI drone surveillance images that show Kyle Rittenhouse initiated the aggression that night. It's a claim I still find baffling for several reasons. It makes no sense for the prosecution to focus so heavily on these side issues if they can easily prove that this is not a self-defense case at all and that Kyle is the aggressor. It's a claim that contradicts witnesses and the prosecution themselves who originally acknowledged that Rosenbaum followed Rittenhouse and attacked. Not that... Rittenhouse initiated attack and now it's a claim that's totally unsupported by the thorough investigation and analysis of a man with decades of professional experience investigating and analyzing exactly this sort of situation. The prosecution is flailing at the sky while claiming to hold the silver bullet. Why? It's evidence that would totally change the case in their favor, but they spend none of their time on that and all of their time on this secondary nonsense. Why? They are taking losses leading up to the trial, and they haven't yet introduced potentially the only piece of evidence they need to win. Why? The only explanation that I can figure based on recent FBI and other federal agency behavior is that it's not ready. To be shown yet, that maybe there are still a few upgrades and modifications that have to be made. But when it does come out, just remember that hey guys, this definitely is not a lab creation, is not an explanation that's held up well to scrutiny lately. Thanks as always for listening and for supporting this channel. Always appreciate that thoughtful discussion down below, and especially over on Minds, that is at ML Christensen. You're always welcome to coming out and chatting my live streams. Those are linked down in the description. Looking forward to it. Goodbye.
5: I'm just guessing. How much do you guys want to bet that I'm on some kind of watch list now? That I'm on some kind of watch list now? How many, how many of you want to bet? The New York Times calls me far right. A few months ago, the New York Times tried to tie me in with the Proud Boys. I don't know anything about the Proud Boys. They got a letter from my lawyer. Excuse me, it's the Washington Post. They're kind of the same. And warned them. And warned them that if they do it again, they're going to get a libel suit. But this is how they try to demean you and destroy you. I'm not going anywhere. My voice is not going to be silenced. But how much do you want to bet because I wrote the book American Marxism. In chapter seven, I talk about things that we can do, including attending board meetings, including attending ways to go, go after the union through the tax code, uh, Freedom of Information Act requests, and so forth and so forth. I mean, I don't know it for sure, but I got to believe these guys have a, have a hair trigger now. And so this is a red line for all of us who believe in liberty and all of us who believe that parents and taxpayers should have the primary say on what goes on in our classrooms. Because make no mistake about it, these are Democrat board members working with the teachers unions, pulling in the Biden FBI and the Biden Department of Justice and the Biden appointed U.S. attorneys to get involved, to intimidate parents and others who seek to protest what's going on in their classrooms that they pay for with the employees whose salaries they pay and whose benefits they pay and the school board members who are responsible to them. This is an effort, a bald face effort, at intimidating parents and taxpayers. And let me tell you something else. This is a further propaganda effort to smear everybody with this January 6th insurrection stuff. So, in the Department of Justice, where there are radical, hardcore leftists and Marxists that have been pointed to all the top positions there, criminal division, civil rights division, the deputy attorney general, the associate attorney general, and the attorney general, who was a, uh, a fraud, never a moderate, this is an effort. For them to use the resources of the federal government to shut down opposition to critical race theory and genderism. This is an effort to paint everybody as a white supremacist or a Trump supporter and so forth and so on. That is what's going on here. That's why they've used January 6th. That's why January 6th is so important to them, where they keep calling it an insurrection when in fact it was not. Even the FBI had to issue something late on a Friday afternoon about a month ago saying They don't have any evidence that there was a planned insurrection, of course, because a planned insurrection with unarmed people breaking in and roaming around the Capitol building, that's not an insurrection. I'm not saying it's proper, but it's certainly not an insurrection. And the reaction to that, the way that the Department of Justice and the FBI have treated many of these people who weren't even in the building is appalling, particularly when you consider it in light of what happened with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. But now they're targeting parents. Now they're targeting taxpayers. If this regime were around during the rise of the Tea Party in 2010, they would have done the same thing to the Tea Party. They're not going after Black Lives Matter, which is an avowedly Marxist organization that seeks to overthrow the United States government. The parents and the taxpayers in these board meetings are not seeking to overthrow any government. They're seeking to control what's going on in their classrooms because the government is rogue. It's out of control. It's pushing racism. It's destroying the nuclear family. It's pushing lies about American history. And parents are involved now. And Mr. Garland and his Department of Justice don't like it. For more,
6: sign up for Levin TV.
7: Father, he was trying to tell the Loudon School County County School Board that his ninth grade daughter was raped, and he was arrested. Scott Smith is here to tell his story. Thank you for joining us, sir. And, and you know, we saw you get arrested, and it's angered so many people. It's gone. It's gone viral across America. That that video clip that we played, and I wanted to play it out because there are a lot of cops arresting you, sir. But yet, you're, you say your daughter was raped in one of their schools. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, that is the truth. So, so tell us what happened. What uh, tell us what happened, and give us a timeline on when you say these things happened.
6: I believe it was May twenty third, the last week of school of last year. Um, Our daughter was sexually assaulted in her high school bathroom um, by a boy wearing a skirt. Um, We were notified that it was a sexual... I mean, that it was a... um, that our daughter had been beat up by a boy in the bathroom. And um, when we arrived at the school, uh, we found out that that wasn't the case. Um, I mean, it's such a long story, but, you know, the school administrators were running around, you know, like acting like it, it was just insane. And, you know, I had to raise so much chaos at the school, you know, to draw enough attention to get the police to come to help my daughter because I wasn't getting the help I needed from the SRO or the principal. Um, it was just, you know, where's the ambulance? Why, why why do you have my daughter and my wife trapped in a room that they're not allowed to talk and you've got me, you know, on the other side of the door on a standoff? It was just absolutely horrible. And so, um, so- you know, we basically,
7: We'll go, ahead.
6: go ahead, go ahead, sir. C- continue. I was going to say, so, you know, basically we were esc- escorted off the property. Uh, we were told we were no longer allowed to be on the school property at that point. And we were told to report to the sheriff's office, which is what I wanted to do all day. Anyway, and we reported to the sheriff's office. We were assigned an SVU detective, and we met her at the hospital. And, you know, the 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 interview took place the the rape kit was i believe the, the very next morning um and that was pretty much the last we ever heard of the school i well we never heard, actually we, i to my knowledge we've never heard from the school you know uh since we were escorted off the property you know and then summer came and it was turned over to the law enforcement and you know it's just it, it, you know and I was told that I needed to stay. You know, silent and 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 not you know not speak out about this. If I wanted to see justice for my daughter, who told you, you know, that? And, and that you was that? really who, who told
7: you to stay silent, uh, Scott. This is a real important uh, technicality here. Who, who who wanted to keep you silent? I,
6: to be honest with you, it was all camps. Um, it was you know my attorney. It was the uh, prosecuting attorney. It was the sheriff's department. Um, you know, I was. You know, I was told, you know, stay off social media. You know, don't talk about this if you want to get justice for your daughter. So,
7: I this is super important. And, and we're going to get into some of the aspects which are just mind-boggling. But for me, okay, so your attorney tells you to stay quiet. Whatever, their attorney, stay quiet, whatever, they have vested interest. But someone like the school board and or the police department saying, telling you, suggesting you stay quiet is very disturbing to me. Give us a little bit more detail on that, if you, if you will.
6: Well, you got to remember I we I never we never talked to the school department about it because once it was put into the you know, the sheriff's hands, the the school system washes their hands of it and won't won't discuss it anymore. There's it's like it never happened. Um which is very very disturbing. Um <laughs> So, you know, you know, I was told by you know, the sheriff's department, you know, that the best way to get justice for my daughter was to stay quiet. Wow, wow. Scott, and, tell, us, um, tell,
7: tell us, you know, I think there's another th- th- little a- twist in this story that will outrage about just about every human being, let alone a parent that's watching right now. What happened to this kid, this boy that, that raped your, allegedly raped your daughter? What, what did the school
6: do with him? Well, you know, we've been in court Um, all summer long, you know, with this matter. And we were under the impression that he was on in-house arrest with an ankle monitor. And, you know, until there was a resolution in court, that's where he would stay. Um, And that's what we presumed was going on. To be honest with you, we were a week short of probably wrapping this court date up. And my wife gets a disturbing call from a concerned mom, or I believe, and asking what the name of you know the um, the alleged sexual predator is, and we said you know we we can't say that we're not going to tell you that um, you know it's a juvenile, and so they told us the name, and we said uh, no comment. We'll call you right back, or whatever. And, and um, we reached out to you know our attorney, the sheriff's department, the prosecuting attorney. Um, I believe our attorney called us back first and confirmed it. Um, we heard from the sheriff's department later that evening. They confirmed it. And then um, I believe that my wife might have spoke to the prosecuting attorney the next day.
7: That he was in fact moved to another school, attending school, and then do you, I have read that you said that he may have, have, have perpetrated
6: another sexual assault. He did. It's, uh, it's been reported the sheriff's department, you know, released a, a, a statement on their Facebook page regarding the incident that happened at uh, Broad Run High School. Um, and that's what kicked off, you know, people tr- putting two and two together, I guess. Um, you know, we were very careful to really talk to anybody about it. When we got it confirmed, of course, we kept it very quiet. Um, but you know, it just ran like fire, but I do know that there's a news agency that reached out from Britain, I believe to the Loudoun County sheriffs. I believe it was last night and they did confirm this, that it is in fact, the same boys boy. Uh, so that's all I really know. You know, we haven't heard from the, you know, I don't even know what time it is right now, but, uh, we still haven't heard from the prosecuting attorney um we've not heard from the school system you know and i'll tell you just recently right before we went on air i got you know a a a screenshot of the press release that beth bartz put out and it's just full of lies